0: Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Temptation. It convinces us, it cajoles us, and it even threatens us into inaction sometimes. But when, if ever, is temptation good? Should we be routinely praying, lead us not into temptation, or is it a greater self-reflection that's the antidote? Today's reading is two-part. The first is a new version of The Familiar from the Liturgical Musings of Human Rights by Hannah Ward and Jennifer Wilde. And the second is from the book of James in the New Testament. As you listen, think about a recent time that you were tempted. Was it good? Was it bad temptation? And what should you be keeping mind in mind while you were praying this? Human rights. Beloved, our Father and Mother, in whom is heaven, hallowed be your name. Followed by your royal way, done be your will and rule throughout the whole creation. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, strengthen us. From trials too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For your reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen. And then from James 1:12 to 14. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away.
1: This line of the Lord's Prayer is one that when we are saying it together, I stop and actually cringe. It's one of the lines that I don't like. However, it is also a line that has taught me a lot about God and the Bible. And this line in particular has showed me that the ancients did not have a static view of God. Their view of God was shifting. It was changing all the time. And not only that, but the Bible gives us evidence of this shifting, of this changing. And so instead of seeing the Bible as something that is continually accurate or consistent all the way through, to me it's an insight to how human beings, how they grew in their understanding of God and of themselves. And all of that, to me, is in this one line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you take that line seriously, if you really examine it, it might be troubling for you also. Just look at those first two words, the verb, lead us not The idea is to lead or bring someone into a place. But since here we're not talking about a location, instead it's lead or bring us into a certain state of being or circumstances. And what is it that we are asking God not to lead us into? That is temptation. Now, The only reason why the negative is there is because it has to negate that which would naturally happen. If you take out the word not, all of a sudden you get lead us into temptation. Does that make you comfortable? Does this idea of God, that God would actually lead you into temptation, to entice you, to woo you, if you would, to do that which is evil— Does that bother you at all? So, this wording, lead us not to temptation, is a picture of a God that has to be called on by us in order that God will not tempt us or entice us to do that which is wrong. Now, that is not an image of God that I find appealing. Instead, I would much rather think of God as a loving God. But what's amazing is when you look at this text, it actually is not unique in the rest of the Bible. We can actually find it scattered throughout the Old Testament, and there's even places in the New Testament that you will find this idea. For example when you think about Abraham. There's a story in Genesis where it says that Abraham is told by God to offer up human sacrifice, his only son Isaac. Now, that requires a view of God that sees God actively engaged in in, in our world, in humanity. It's a picture of God where God in particular is interested in God's chosen people. But not only that, but this whole idea of God leading people in temptation is actually rooted in a very ancient idea that God is not only the one who causes good, hold on to your mask now, but God is one who causes evil God is not the only one who does good but actually God causes evil why because for the ancients God was the ultimate cause of everything that exists now some people would say well what about satan well the reality is this idea of satan was really an idea that developed in the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. During that shift over that we begin to think about Satan. Before then, the idea of Satan as this evil being was not in existence. So it is God who does both good and evil. So therefore, it makes perfect sense that it is God who will tempt us to do evil. Even though we may not like it, they didn't have a problem with that. Think about the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. God, it says, tempts them. Think about Job. And the story there, what you have is God may not be the direct cause of the temptation, but it is God who allows it. I don't know about you, but being passive... And bringing about a situation that can be detrimental to other people can actually be just as dangerous as being active. That's why in our legal system, we have this idea of an accomplished, someone who goes along with. So you may not be the one pulling the trigger, but you still may be hold, held guilty. The prophets even carry this idea And there was one text in particular that stood out for me as I was reading and thinking again about some of the things the prophet said. In Isaiah chapter 45, verses 6 and 7, listen. And this is the writer's attributing words to God. And the writer says the following, that humans may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me that I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness. Now, here's where we get to the punchline. Causing well-being. And the word is actually one that you're familiar with. The word there in the Hebrew is shalom. Causing shalom, wholeness, wellness, and creating and the writers here, this translation, were very kind. And the challenge sometimes with translations is if we don't, or if we're not aware of it, and the majority of us aren't, we're dependent upon what they choose to translate this word. This particular translation, they say the following, creating calamity. Calamity. But the word in its original text, means evil. So God is not only the one who creates will being, shalom, God is also the one who creates evil, or the conditions of evil. And then the writer has God say, I am the Lord who does all of this. Isaiah is not the only one. In Amos, it says the following, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a, and again, notice the translation, if a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? But again, it's the exact same word. If evil occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Pretty amazing, huh? That God is one who does evil. No wonder the writers of the Gospels had no problem saying, lead us not into temptation, because there was such a rich heritage that they saw in their background that that's what God does. I also wonder if the writer of the Gospel of Matthew was also aware when he wrote that one line in the Lord's Prayer of an event that is recorded in the Gospel of Mark, where it says the following Immediately, and that was after Jesus' baptism, the Spirit impelled Jesus to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And again, you get this idea that it is God, God's Spirit, who's responsible for leading people into temptation, to do wrong, to try to get them, entice them, to do that which is not appropriate, which is right. And then even Paul, Paul in Romans chapter 1 in talking about the ungodly, the people that weren't Christians or labeled as such by those who were. Paul says the following in chapter, Romans chapter 1, he says, "'Therefore God gave the ungodly.'" Notice again the activity of God. "'God gave the ungodly over to, or he delivered them to the lust of their hearts.'" It's not something that just happens. According to Paul, it's something God is actively doing. And further on, it says for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions or lust. And then finally, God gives the ungodly over to a depraved mind. All of this is seen as coming from God. Now, there are all sorts of ways that people have tried to translate these ideas and interpret them to somehow ease that idea of God being active in bringing about evil because it's just something we're not comfortable with. And we're not the only ones. If you go back in time and look at some of the other writings scattered throughout the Old Testament, and even in writings that never made it into the Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, or the Christian Bible, which includes the New Testament and the Old Testament. One of those books was called the Book of Sirach. It was written about 200 to 175 years before the birth of Jesus. And I think this writer grew enough discomfort from having this idea that God is leading us into temptation, God is trying to get us, induce us to do evil, that he wrote the following. Do not say, it was God doing that I fall away. For what God hates, God does not do. Do not say, God himself has led me astray. Now, are you ready for this one? For God has no need of the wicked. It's almost as if this writer is aware of this tradition, the way of seeing God, and says, uh-uh, that isn't working anymore. We need to rethink this. And the text that Janelle read for us, Captures this same idea, James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one who is tempted say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and God does not tempt anyone. Do you see what's happening here? There's an evolving in the Bible. We have records of where people are willing to say, look, I see God this way, and then over time, a new perception of God begins to take place. And one of the responsibilities we have when we look at the Bible is we need to be honest with what we see and have the freedom to either agree disagree, or dare I even say, modify it a little bit so it works with us. So instead of seeing the the Bible as this ultimate truth, what if a person sees the Bible as a way to engage truth as it grows over time? Now, if you're comfortable with this idea of God, I'm not here to change your mind. But if you're not comfortable with this idea of God, I want to offer you an alternative. Because that original word in lead us not into temptation, that word temptation actually can also be translated test. If you test something, you probe it to determine its quality. So, if you take a piece of jewelry in to a jeweler, they will test it to see what quality it is. So, it is possible that we, instead of understanding this as an idea of temptation, it's the idea that we are tested. Now, again, the ancients believed that God was responsible for that. But what if God is not? What if tests occur in our lives and it's just part of being alive? Every, in my opinion, every experience and situation we go through becomes a revelation of who we are. It shows us the essence of what we're about. It shows what our character is, and especially in really difficult situations. Financial problems, health problems, relationship problems. All of these, if you would, are tests for us to be able to see into ourselves. It becomes a window that allows us to be able to look and say, ah. You know, there's a lot of times when we have a difficult time or we're facing a challenge in our lives and we want to blame other people for the problem. It's called play the victim. But if we could see every situation and circumstance or situation or experience that comes around as an opportunity to learn a little bit more about ourselves and to grow. Imagine the opportunities as an opportunity for us to fully experience what it means to be a human being. If there's one individual who knows about this, his name is Viktor Frankl. You may have read some of his books. In his experience in a concentration camp, Viktor Frankl was tested. And he says the following. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. So, no matter what situation or experience you are going through or will go through, that, if you would, is the stimulus. And between that and the way that you respond to it is a little bit of a gap of time. Frankel calls it a space. And he says, in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So I would offer you another way of looking at this line in the Lord's Prayer. Instead of seeing it as, lead us not into temptation— Imagine if it meant, lead us or let us know that we are not alone during these times of trials. And if that being alone means that in some way you are aware of the divine or the spirit of God within you, or perhaps it may mean for you that you experience the God, God through another human being being with you during those difficult times. What happens if we could just shift it just a little bit and instead of take it from lead us not into temptation to let us not go through these difficult times alone? That we can go together. And with the divine, we can grow and evolve and enhance what it means to be a human being.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beattitudeschurchorg backslash online-giving Beatitudes Radio Empowering People to Enrich Society